wasn't worried about what people thought and nothing like that. I always wanted to fight him. It was no way I was going to not take this opportunity. <clears throat> we fight for my title, we fight for his title, we fight for the ring belt, and we fight for the Muhammad Ali trophy. There's no way I'm going to, like, try to, they were saying I was going to try a chicken out and not fight him. No way. It's just you had to tighten my stuff up in my contract. That's all. And you should be thanking me. You know thanking why? You. Yeah, you should be thanking, thanking me because right. if it wasn't for me doing all this, look mm-hmm. how fight, look how big the fight is now. The fight, the fight is here at the O2. Well, so you're the superstar, pumping yourself up all the time, right. believing your own smoke, and that's your downfall. That's going to be a downfall. You gotta see. Did it give you a lift? All this, what you'd heard? It didn't, didn't bother me at all. I just wanted to fight. I just want to fight. I want to fight him. He thinks he's the best. I think I'm the best, so I just want to fight him. And that's it. So now it's on, so that's all that matters to me. Guys here, back again with the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. Was trying to avoid talking about Pro Great Taylor, but I'm seeing the the noise in my circles about it. So I thought I'd just throw a few words together, nothing long, just you know, a brain dump of my thoughts on the fight and perhaps how I see it going. It's very tricky to predict fights. I'm not really one for predicting fights in any great detail because ultimately. They don't end the way you think they're going to end. There are too many variables at play, too many things you can't possibly know until the bell rings. But it's always interesting to have a discussion about the key elements that we think should hopefully drive the outcome of the fight. And that's what we want to get excited about. What are the small things we've seen? What are the small things we want to see come Saturday night that will get you guys excited and get you guys talking about some high-level boxing that we'll hopefully see? Now, in terms of my, my views on the fight, I'm on an excitement scale of 1 to 10. I'm at about 6.72. Why? It's just not a fight that does anything for me. I don't know if it's the build-up and I don't know if it's how we've got here. But I don't feel the same way about the fight the way the hype machine does at the moment. So let me tell you why. When you really look at 140 and when you really look at how we've got to this point where we have Regis program, we have Josh Taylor fighting for the Ali Trophy and to unify the division. When we get to this point, what we really look at is the ghost of Terence Crawford. No one in their right mind believes either of these two guys could lay a glove on Terence Crawford at 140 pounds. And the reason we say that is he was so destructive over people we were talking about in revered terms. Don't forget this. When he dispatched Ndongo, we thought Ndongo had the potential to unify the division too. Until Crawford showed you. Crawford, the old warrior dog at 140, said, if I can't take you out to the head like everyone else has tried, I'm going to see if your body's up to much. And that minute he realized that the body shots were there, Ndongo was finished. As a boxer and as a man, Ndongo was finished. He did the same thing with Postel. As soon as he got his hands on Postel, as soon as he figured out what Postel didn't like, 
broke him, wrote him off to an extent that Barry McGuigan said, this guy is ready for Josh Taylor. So we're looking at two guys fighting on Saturday that feasted off the carcasses of two Terence Crawford kills. And it's still fresh in our memory. We still remember what he did to Ndonga. And we still remember what he did to Postel. And now we've had to see Josh Taylor and Regis Progre quite rightly go through that rise of passage of dealing with guys that were dealt with by better guys. But we're here. And in being here, what we're saying is these two are kind of the best of what they could cobble together. Right? Because you've got the big shadow of Terence Crawford looming over going, well, Crawford did a lot of damage in this division. Everything that came up, he swatted down in a dominant way. Right? In a dominant way that he would have done the same to Taylor, he would have done the same to programmers comfortably. So then we say, okay, so there's the looming specter of Terence Crawford looking over. You know, he's still fresh enough. He's still young enough that he can look and go, no, nah, I'd slap both those guys silly. And there's still sufficient mileage that the winner of this might end up fighting Crawford down the line. The loser might. Both might. So that's what makes, that's what makes this fight kind of like... <sighs> the other element is the Mikey Garcia question. Now, if I'm 100% that Crawford destroys both men, I'm about 70% bullish that Mikey Garcia could do a number on either one of these two guys. I'm not, it's not a guarantee for me, but the best Mikey Garcia against these two guys is a more than competitive fight, but Mikey Garcia would be the name you would back based on reputation and experience. So there's that question looming over the winner of this. Then there's the Ramirez question. Let's not forget that either. So now we've got our second name. So you have Jose Ramirez. And whatever you want to say about Ramirez, good, bad, indifferent... He's a factor in this division. He's a factor to the point where whoever wins this will still have Ramirez questions to answer. Now, I think both guys can beat Ramirez. I think Ramirez could beat both guys. But that's the fight that we want to see happening. So this isn't really a fight for supremacy. This is kind of like a semi-final for who's really number one in the division. And I'm okay with that. As long as we frame it that way, I am all good with that. And let's take a step back. And then let's look at... Uh, it was Carno, wasn't it? The Mexican guy that beat Linares. Are we going to discount the Linares win? Is the Linares win bigger than anything Progress done? Is it bigger than anything that Taylor's done? Let's just throw that in the debate. I don't have a definitive answer one way or the other. But what I can say is there are enough names around these two that the winner of this is not beyond debate the best in the division. There are still questions to answer. I think what this does is it elevates these guys to being the cash cow in the division should they choose to stay. It also says they can be the cash cow in certain fights at 147 and certain fights at 135 were prograted to decide to go down in weight. So this is why I'm not so excited about the fight because I feel that the World Boxing Super Series was an incomplete bracket of eight. Right? But we are where we are. And whatever you think of the fight, it's an exciting fight to have on British soil. I think Progress is a special talent. And as you know, special talents elicit the interest of British fans and British fans show up in force. 
on the side issue, I think Proga has been a fantastic ambassador for the sport, a fantastic ambassador for his country, and a fantastic ambassador for this fight. He's done it the right way. No private jets, just literally being in the gyms, being at the boxing clubs, being at small hall shows. He's illustrated what boxing is and what boxers should be, ambassadors of the sport. So he's been at every level of the sport since he's been here. Fantastic. That's what we want to see in our boxes. This is what gets us excited about the sport, is seeing the guys we look up to being among us, mortals among men. I should have said immortals among men. Nah, who knows? Eh, whatever. But we haven't seen that much of Taylor. Now, I know Taylor from my days being around Shane McGuigan way back when, so I kind of know his character, and it's not really him to be in the limelight. And that's fair enough. But we'd like to have seen a bit more of Josh. We'd like to have seen a bit more traction because Josh is really what's you know, the factor that gets the British fans excited by what's coming. Josh is the Union Jack wearing, the, the tartan wearing embodiment of British boxing. 2012 Olympian, Commonwealth Games, all that sort of stuff. He is, he's our guy. And we haven't seen enough of him which has forced us to lavish love on Regis Progre. So really, this fight is more, we want to see what Progre does. And it shouldn't be. It should be, I want to see two young bulls going head to head. I know Progre is 30 and Taylor's 27, 28. But these are still two young guys in terms of careers. And we just want to see them butt heads, get stuck into each other. And in terms of that, I think this fight is quite interesting. I think there are a number of questions that are going to come up. I think there are a number of challenges both guys will have to navigate. And that's what makes this fight exciting. Now, when you see two Southpaws come together in a fight, your instincts are, it's going to be a shit fight. You are, why? Because the traditional coaching model of Southpaws means that they tend to be awkward and they tend to counterpunch. So it's rare. You, you get the Manny Pacquiao example you get the Errol Spence example. You can say Crawford, but Crawford can switch. Fury can switch. So in terms of like what I call classical southpaws, pure southpaws, they tend to be counterpunchers because that's where all their advantages come into play. In this case, we have guys that can do a bit of both. And that's what's really interesting here. It's not like you know, these guys have extensive amateur backgrounds. They're both international level boxers. Taylor made the Olympic squad. Progre was unlucky, lost out in the box off in the trials. But they're at that level. You know, it's a comparable level of amateur experience. So there's nothing stylistically they haven't seen before. So this is just really about what you can execute on the night. What your pure habits are when you strip everything away. What are your habits in that ring and what's going to happen? And at the highest level, what's really interesting is Progre tends towards his left-hand side. His most effective punches come from the left, which tells you he's a classic southpaw. You know, he's a lefty that was taught to box southpaw, and he's got all those advantages. He's layered some, some tricks and some things in there, which are fair enough. You know, we want to see that. But then you've also got Josh Taylor, who's quite right-hand heavy. A lot of his best work is initiated from that right-hand side. That might, that might come from his 
martial arts background. I know he was a was he a taekwondo guy? Yeah. So generally in taekwondo, that lead leg is really important in terms of you know like your jab hand. Your lead leg is like your jab hand. It regulates distance. It keeps your opponent at bay. And you normally have your strongest side as your lead leg. So someone quote me on this if they want, but I think Josh Taylor's a right-handed southpaw, and that might be reflected. So you're going to have an interesting battle in that channel. So if you split the body in two, and you're going to have Josh Taylor's right hand facing Regis Progress' left hand, that's where the interesting action is going to be in terms of the power shots being landed. But everything that sits around that is going to be interesting. So how do you even set up the positions to let your power shots go? How do you put yourself in position to let your own dominant hand go? So if you look at Progo, what Progo is really good at is those micro feints where he'll just move and it looks like he's just loosening up. But if you look at his eyes, he's looking at the target to see where the opening is. And what Progo looks for, if you look at his fight against Raelic, you know, Orthodox versus Southpaw, he was looking for the moments where Raelic opened up. So, so he'd, try and, he'd try and make Raelic you know, open up by throwing that backhand and then just come under it with a hook to the body when, that, when it was just open. And so Progre is really good at, and one of the things I like about what Progre does, he starts low. Most of his best attacks will start with a body shot to get you conscious of it, and it's normally a hard body shot, full torque in the power. And then once he's got you thinking about the body, then he attacks the head. Now his punching technique in terms of straight shots, unorthodox, he's got a very flicky jab. But he doesn't, as I said earlier, he's so left-hand dominant, the jab is incidental mostly for Progre. It's, it's there to disrupt, it's there to figure out where the opponent is, it's there to pin the opponent, but really, that left hand is what he wants to throw. And I like how he throws it with full conviction. It's not like... He's not a power puncher in the sense that someone like a Crawford might be. He's not a power puncher in the sense that someone like... Like a Canelo might be. He's a power puncher because he commits to those shots. Once he's going to throw that left hand, he fully commits to it. And it's that commitment that seems to bring out an extra 20% of power. And seems to have that impact. As well as his timing. It's impeccable. So there are a lot of strengths that Progre brings. But Taylor's equally as adept. Now. Taylor's a different animal. I think there's probably. Realistically I think there's a 5 inch height difference between those two. Maybe even 6. I know they're trying to tell me that Progre is 5'8". But I'm just like. <laughs> but that's what you have now. So you've got Josh Taylor. Now Josh Taylor. Not really a classic southpaw. But kind of. He's this hybrid where he'll do a lot of the things traditional southpaws do, but he's always looking to hurt you with that right hand, get you thinking on that side, and then bring the left up and around. He's, he's as brutal a British boxer as we've seen in this country. He's a spiteful man in that ring. He's a spiteful man. He has a fantastic jab, actually. And unlike Progre, I think Taylor's jab is fantastic, and this is why this is important. Number one, the height advantage. The reach advantage. But also, when you're facing orthodox the orthodox, your jab suddenly comes into play when it doesn't normally when you face an orthodox guy because you nullify each other on the jab side. 
and it's really just a, a negotiation for position to throw your backhand. In this case, Josh Taylor has the potential to just jab Regis Prograis silly. And that's easier said than done because Prograis always moves his head. So if you're Taylor, what do you do? Do you aim for the chest? Why not? Aim for the chest, but use your jab to disrupt Prograis to make sure that he can't set himself for his punches. Keep disrupting. And if you miss, whatever you do, move Prograis away from you. Use that, whichever shot you miss with, use that arm to move him off. That's what Taylor's going to have to do. Mentally, he's going to have to get into that O'Hara Davis mindset where he shows Prograis respect for a couple of rounds and then tests his mettle for the fight, in my opinion. I'd like to see Josh do that. I'd like to see him doubling up on the hooks as well, just to, to keep Prograis honest because Prograis likes to go from high to low, from low to high. And I think if you can just get a sense of that, and maybe shovel those hooks in. So almost like throw it at a 45 degree going from, from body to head. Just see what you can hit with that. Because you want to keep Prograis tall. And then just break him down with a 1-2. Come in with some body shots. You know, it's going to be fascinating in that sense. So what, what shots is Prograis going to use? Now we can't say Prograis never boxed the southpaw before. We saw him against Terry Flanagan. And against Terry Flanagan he was quite quite fundamentally sound. He, he broke Flanagan down with a 1-2. Really. He broke Flanagan down with a 1-2. And every so often he'd go to the body. Just so Flanagan didn't know whether to keep his hands high or his hands low. And then once he had Flanagan confused, he just timed everything. So, that, so I don't think that's going to bother him. I think what's going to bother Progre in this is the length, the discipline, and the movement that Josh Taylor has. Josh is great at being in and out. People say he gets hit too often, but I think that's just a choice. Sometimes he chooses to stay in and fight. You know, get it. If you feel you're that much better than someone, why not, why not have the fight you want to have? Don't think you can do that with Progray. Too sharp, too quick. You have to get Progray going backwards. You have to have him uncomfortable. Do you take the fight on the inside? Mm, you might have to. Taylor might have to take this fight on the inside if he can't win the shootout. If he can't win the jab shootout, the one-two shootout, he's going to have to do that. Because it's not inconceivable that you end up watching Prograis slipping outside the jab and then just coming back with his own shot. So this is slipping outside the jab, coming back with his own left hand. You know. And I say that because when I watch Prograis box, I believe anything's possible. I believe he, can, he could replicate any game plan, he could replicate anyone's style. He seems to be that malleable as a boxer, and I think that's really impressive. Taylor less so. I think Taylor's the more destructive guy, and I think Taylor's the guy that's going to bring the intensity, and I think Progre is going to bring that that intellect, you know, that ability to make changes every thirty seconds in a round, that ability to to control the geography of the round, that ability to just to be defensively sound without giving up space. And then being able to just come in with those quick counters and have Taylor uncomfortable. And then it will come down to, does Progre have the power we think he is? He does. Does Taylor have the power we think he does? But I'd like to see the O'Hara Davis version of Josh Taylor, where it's smart and it's calculated, it's precise, and it's brutal. I think that's what you're going to need to get Progre's respect. But I think Progre is going to have to do exactly the same to Taylor. 
if you think about Progray, what he's been through, he went through Hurricane Katrina. He had to rebuild his life in Houston. And, you know, yes, he was a teenager when this happened, but still, he had to rebuild his life in Houston. And that's hardship. Like, spiritually, like, the legacy of Katrina must play hard on him. And it's a toughening experience. Josh Taylor's as tough as they come from Edinburgh. Like, just speaking to guys that knew him from the boxing scene. As tough as they come. You don't come from a taekwondo background and represent your country in the Olympics in the course of three and a half years if you don't have something about you. So mentally, I have no question marks about either man. None. I might have question marks about can Taylor make multiple adjustments? Can he react to what Progray is doing? Has he got that tactical nous? But you've got Shane in the corner. So it's a big tick in the box. So we will see. I think there are so many elements in this that you don't know how it's going to go until you see how both men set themselves up. I think Progate's going to set himself up as a counterpuncher, relying on Taylor being the home guy and having to make the fight. And I think Taylor will try and make the fight. Maybe not in the first couple of rounds. Because tactically, I wouldn't want to do that. is a guy where you want to collect as much insight as you can. What does he do when I jab? What does he do when I move left? What does he do when I move right? And then based on that, start to build your attack. But I think if I'm pro-gray, I don't, I don't neglect the body attack on Taylor. I think with Taylor's high guard, you, you want to bring those elbows down to the body. You want him thinking downstairs. And then you can bring it upstairs later on in the fight. I think if you're Taylor, you want to hit him in the chest. You, you know, all that slipping and sliding he does. You might want to step in with the jab sometimes. You might want to step back with the jab sometimes. Just leave it in the hole. And, and so you want to move the tactical battle to being one of, I want Regis Progress to spend 80% of his mental energy working on how to get past my jab. If I can do that, it's going to be very hard for him to do all those tricks that he loves to do. And if I'm Progress, I'm trying to make Josh Taylor come on the inside and have a fight. And surprise him and go, look, I can hook an uppercut with the best of them. Because Taylor's guard will be a problem. Don't underestimate how important that high guard that Taylor has will be. And how disciplined he is in keeping that. He doesn't lose his defensive shape very often. Which is what Flanagan did in the fight with Progray. And it's what Relic did in the fight with Progray. If you look at the assault that Baranchik threw at Taylor. And Taylor managed to fend a lot of it off on the arms. Even though it looked like he was taking a lot of shots. No. He wasn't. He was just able to just to use that 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 just the basics. Just hands up, take it all on the forearms, come back with your counters. Fantastic. So that's what's got me buzzing about the fight. I'm not like I told you, I'm six point seven two on the scale, but it's those sort of tactical nuances. I want to see how Shane overcomes it. I want to see how the progress corner overcome it. I just want to see how how that interplay works out. But uh, that, to be honest, that's my take on the fight. I think it's really, really interesting to see these two guys, just as a, as a standalone fight, really interesting. As a battle of supremacy, I'm yet to be convinced. But listen, you guys let me know what you think, you know, because your opinion is just as valid. We're all trying to make a prediction on the future, and no one has a monopoly on being right. So just let me know what you think. You know, normal channels, Twitter, at Highfield Boxing, Instagram, at Highfield Boxing. You know, fantastic. Let's... Let's keep the combination, the conversation going. And more importantly, guys, you know, in terms of things coming up, 
you know, don't forget Ultimate Boxer 6, December 13th. Should be fascinating. You know, I'm just doing my analysis now, trying to understand what it takes to win this. You know, don't sleep on John Pilata, as always. November 9th, big, dangerous Dan Aziz is, is back. And it's always good to, to see Dan, man. You know, the smile is infectious. The knockouts are addictive. So, you know, this is the time to get behind the guy. We need to go to hell and back. I hate sparring dozens, bro. It's all me, man. Yeah. It's all souls here, man. Yeah. <laughs> Check what's there. Okay. Check what's there. Check yeah. what's there. <laughs> you fast as you live, man. You Here's hoping that these big promoters actually give Dan Aziz a fair crack of the whip. The young man deserves it. You know, let Dan, let Andre loose on some of these guys, man. If you gave them the opponents some of these other guys get on the way up, they'd look just as good. But, I mean, it's up to the fan base. And I think I said this in my last podcast. If you're just one of the silent fans, you're not really helping your guy, man. You have to be vocal. Put the pressure on these promoters to make these signings happen, to make these fights happen. But I think that's probably enough for me well within my 30-minute limit. So I was to say, guys, have a great day. Remember to drop that five-star rating and a review if you'd like to. Let's just keep the traction and the noise going on the podcast. Thanks very much.